Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're amazed by quality advice. If you're attacked by a mob of clowns, always go for the juggler, which in no way leads us to talk about Africa's struggles with complaints delays. Don't swallow a dictionary, it will give you the sorest throat you've ever had. QBE are also feeling a pain with higher than expected catastrophe costs introducing some risk to its full year outlook. And in the world's longest intro segue, quality of advice reviewer Michelle Levy has decided not to ban general insurance commissions. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Oh, goodness. I, I, I don't know. Work hard and pay attention. I don't know. Not to my intros, anyway. Hello, Terry. Good morning. What advice can you give our listeners? Gee, have you got half an hour, everybody? <laughs> I don't think so. I've got a lot of advice, though. <laughs> Maybe listeners can ask us what advice they'd like to hear from you. <laughs> and good morning, John. Morning. Can you advise me? I thought we already knew commissions were here to stay. Yes. Well, we knew that Michelle Levy had recommended that to be the case, but we've now spoken to Michelle Levy in some detail about it. So that's the interesting bit. Well, for people like me wondering why quality advice reviewer Michelle Levy decided not to ban general insurance commissions, can you help, John? Yes, that's right. So um, just to recap briefly, the quality of advice review, which is ongoing, was a recommendation from the Hain Royal Commission. And it was basically quite a broad uh, review to look at how the regulatory framework can better enable the provision of advice and uh, affordable, accessible advice. So Michelle Levy is leading that work and she's published a number of reports. The final report is due on December the 16th. But uh, quite recently, she published a, a paper specifically about conflicted remuneration, and that includes commissions that are paid by insurers to brokers. And Michelle Levy said that sh she thought commissions should stay. Now, we've had a, a, an interview with Michelle, and she's explained her thought process in some detail. So check out our analysis to read read the full piece. But essentially, she said she is against commissions in principle. She, she wishes they didn't exist anywhere, not just in insurance or financial services, but in the real world, they don't cause any harm. And that is the key thing from her perspective. She did not feel there was enough evidence to recommend a ban. And so she published the paper and that, as we know, will delight most insurance brokers who, who, who want to continue to be paid through commissions. Now, Niebuhr has said, if you ban commissions and force everyone to pay a fee, then many people won't. And that means people who need advice won't be able to get advice. And Michelle Levy agreed with that. She has introduced, as we've reported, one, one catch, if you like, which is that brokers have to get permission from retail clients when they're giving personal advice to receive a commission. Michelle Levy says that that's not meant to be onerous. It's just something that you do at the start of the relationship. It's about honesty, transparency, and also enabling consumers to actually think about it and think, well, am I happy paying a commission? And if they're not, then maybe they go somewhere else and, and, and pay a fee. But yeah, that's it. That's it in summary. Well, for clickbait controversy, Wendy, you're familiar with the consumer group's take on this. What will they make of her comments? I think they um, 
very much take issue with her comments that in general insurance, she she really sees no harm. The consumer groups, including uh, Choice and Consumer Action Law Centre, um, have, have put in a submission saying they're extremely disappointed in the proposal to keep that exemption in place. And they say there's any amount of evidence that addressing issues through disclosure doesn't actually work in reducing harm and you really have to get to the root of the problem. But, you know, they, they also highlight a lot of issues in consumer credit insurance, which is sold through other types of intermediaries rather than brokers. And they point to the ACCC inquiry into Northern Australia, which recommended um, ending that ban on conflicted remuneration but um, that hasn't convinced Michelle Levy at all on the, on the case for action. So I, I think they've got a bit of an uphill battle. But as a consumer, I don't have to pay a broker's commission. I can go direct in some cases, can't I? Well, you can, but you might choose to go through a broker. Well, maybe I'll lead on to uh, Terry then. Do you follow Ms Levy's train of thought? And do you think the government will agree? I was just trying to follow your train of thought there, Andrew. The reason that you go to a broker is that you get advice. For free. What you get from an insurer is a policy. That's what you need. Look, I, I don't see why the, the federal government wouldn't agree with her. This, this has been a very thorough examination. In fact, it's been exhausting. And Michelle Levy's come right out and said what we've all been saying for a very long time, that commissions go against present-day trends, yes, but they do make a brokers affordable to customers and they don't do any harm. I'm sure the government's agreement will come with some strong requirement that brokers reveal to the client every dollar they're making from the deal, and that's not so bad, but it will raise clients' awareness of, of how much the broker is making, which we don't ha really have now, and it will doubtless, I absolutely guarantee it will lead to some real shock horror headlines, which means in turn that brokers have got to start looking at how they promote their own professionalism and their value to the community because right now they're terrible at it. Now, Wendy, QBE issued a performance update yesterday. How are they tracking? They said that Highland expected catastrophe costs had introduced um, some risk to their original full year outlook. So they're now looking at catastrophe costs of, this is US dollar 1.06 billion, which would exceed the allowance of 962 million, which they had for the year. Now, that was up on an actual $905 million last year, which also um, exceeded their original allowance. So it's been quite, you know, an upward trajectory here, as with, you know, other insurers as well. But they also said uh, yesterday that they'd be strengthening um, long-tail claims reserves given this persistently high uh, inflation, which means they have to put more money aside. But on the other side, it sounds like they'll be releasing some COVID provisions. And they also pointed out the continuing strength in premiums. So there was, you know, a bit of a mixed bag all up. You caught up with their group CEO recently, John, didn't you? Yes, that's right. And we're going to have a, a full interview with Andrew Horton in the next edition of Insurance News Magazine. It was a really good chat. He, he's he's settled now. He's been he's been in in place in Sydney for for over a year, and feels like uh, QBE is definitely going in the right direction. A couple of his main priorities when he came in was to stabilise the staffing situation because they'd had quite high turnover at some levels. They've worked hard on that. They've also worked to stabilise the US operation, which, as you probably know, over the years became quite unwieldy through a number of acquisitions. And uh, it was it was a bit unpredictable in its impact on, on the wider group. So they've really made efforts to 
simplify that US operation. Close to home, they got a big push to invest in technology and platforms for the uh, the SME and the sort of micro SME sector. So that'll be interesting. He did issue a bit of a warning on a uh, what he called a, a crunch coming in capacity. Essentially, it's an issue with reinsurers and capacity providers reducing their appetite at the same time as uh, there's expectations for insurers to provide ever more cover. So that will be interesting as the reinsurance renewals approach on January 1. Now, it isn't just insurers that are battling delays when it comes to claims. John Afka has also admitted that it's struggling. Yes, that's right. I, I think there's a, a touch of irony here. I mean, as we know, most complaints about general insurance that go to Afka relate to claims and 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 most of them about claims delays. Now, Africa put a note on its own website saying that it itself was suffering from problems with delays. There are so many insurance claims out there at the moment, as we know, due to the floods, some of those, a small portion of those, are complained about and end up with Africa. The numbers are overwhelming Africa. And so there is a delay, unfortunately, in those complaints being dealt with. Really, it, it does show that uh, the situation is is beyond what we normally expect. And it might it might take a bit of patience before before it all settles down again. Obviously, this isn't good for complainants, Terry, but maybe does it show that events are out of insurers' hands somewhat? Well, at least we won't get AFCA bitching about insurers taking too long to sort out complaints. The floods are, are really, you know, they're unprecedented and weather claims, there's always going to be disputes. So AFCA's got caught up in the deluge. The, the numbers they're dealing with don't so much indicate a record number of disputes, as John said, as, as they illustrate the huge number of claims that insurers are dealing with. So it's head down, tails up, and don't complain. There's your bit of advice. On to the cyclone reinsurance, Paul. John, last week we ran a story saying that the premium saving estimates have dropped again. Yes, that's right. So um, I'm sure listeners there and readers will remember there was quite a fuss about the cyclone reinsurance pool uh, when the new government, the new federal government came in because the previous federal, federal government had put out some figures outlining how much this scheme was going to save people. They talked about projected premium savings of up to 46% in home insurance, for example. Then when Labour came in, they released some new figures and accused the old government of essentially lying to people. Now, the new government provided figures that were based off a report by Finity, and they talked about average savings in the highest risk areas of 38%. Those figures have been reassessed based on new data that's been provided by insurers. Finity has access to a lot more data points now, and they've redone the figures. And guess what? That figure has gone down again. They're now saying average savings in the highest risk areas will be 32%. And that's before we even get into SME savings, which I can tell you have gone the same the same way. Now, this is all, I guess, fairly speculative. We won't know exactly what the savings are for people until this scheme is properly operational and insurers actually issue the premiums. If you go on our website and have a look at last week's story that we that we ran on this, we also go into a Senate estimates hearing at which the ARPC CEO Chris Wallace was was quizzed. Some politicians are unhappy that no insurers have yet joined the pool. They could have joined from July the 1st, but of course it is a highly complex 
situation. They've got their own reinsurance arrangements in place and they've got to kind of pull out the cyclone element of it and re, uh, I guess, renegotiate all those contracts. So it isn't going to be immediate. Well, this will remain topical this week. Wendy, there's a parliamentary inquiry hearing scheduled for Friday. Yeah, the the Federal Parliament Joint Select Committee on Northern Australia is holding a one-day hearing on the cyclone pool on Friday. So the Deputy Chairman of that committee is Warren Ench, who has been a long-time supporter of having a Northern Australian pool. But, you know, obviously there's a, a lot of frustrations, I guess, about how things are going. And so I think this short, sharp inquiry is just to try and get this pool up and going effectively as soon as possible and to iron out, you know, try and iron out any problems that might be preventing that from happening. So it's expected to hear from insurers, ICA, the Australian Consumers Insurance Lobby and the ARPC, among uh, among others. So And it should sort of report back, I think, fairly quickly by the sounds of it. Terry, it seems people are complaining about it before it's even got going. Yeah, well, surprise, surprise. The pool reinsurance scheme was, was concocted by the, the previous government, really, to enable them to keep... Well, they had a huge number of reports over 13 years, and they did. They just kept kicking the can down the road until they eventually had to make a decision, and the pool reinsurance scheme was the one most likely to please the punters and hopefully not cost the, the government anything. We knew that all along, but they kept the lid on it by saying the premium savings announced before last year's federal election would be followed later by more detailed costings. It was a political concoction intended not so much to make cyclone insurance affordable in Northern Australia as it was to shore up those all-important coalition seats. It was disingenuous, and now you can see that the pool, as proposed, isn't really going to be of much use at all when it comes to affordability. My uh, a friend of mine I was discussing this with hit me with a, a very old saying that three things in the world deserve no mercy, hypocrisy, fraud, and tyranny. And all I can say is that the previous government wasn't big on tyranny. Well, finally, Wendy, as we step back down off our soapbox, RACQ Insurance have appointed a new insurance leader. Yeah, they've appointed uh, Trent Sayers as Group Executive Insurance. He's been acting in the position since the middle of the year when their previous CEO, Tracy Green, left. And he actually joined RACQ um, at the start of the year as general manager claims. So he's got more than 25 years experience in financial services and general insurance, um, including with um, RACT Insurance uh, and Amy. So he's coming in at uh, you know, a time when a lot's happening anyway. What will Trent's priorities be, Terry? Oh, good question. RACQ insurance is, is based in a state where, as, as we were discussing before, the climate risks are rising and customers' ability to pay the, the premiums required is falling. Um, it, it's an insurer on the small end of middle-sized, and I reckon that like all similarly sized personal lines insurers, it's going to come under a lot of pressure in the not too distant future as reinsurance rates rise and capacity falls. At the same time, investments returns are going to continue flatlining and affordability is going to become a major issue. How poor Trent Sayers is going to cope with all that, I don't know. But right now, like many smaller insurers, he's going to have to somehow find some way to balance the weather-associated risks that he's carrying with, well, something else. 
Uh, don't ask me what that might be, Andrew, because like everyone else, I really don't know. But some of these smaller insurers with extensive personal lines exposures are really going to find things really tough. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Terry McMullen, John Deeks and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.